Hello out there. Thanks for joining us today for Cannabis and Tech Talks. This is Patricia Miller, Associate Editor with Cannabis and Tech Today. In today's discussion, we are speaking with the world-renowned chef, Ron Silver. In addition to his many restaurants in New York, Japan, Silver founded Azuka, a CBD edibles company. He also created a patent-pending process that allows edibles to take effect within just two minutes of ingestion. He recently partnered with Wana Brands, based in Boulder, Colorado, to create fast-acting edibles, not only with a predictable onset, but also with a predictable come-down. Rather than the traditional 12 hours, his edibles promise to come down in four. Wana Quick launched in late February and promises to provide immediate highs similar to smoking, rather than the slow build of traditional edibles. We begin our discussion with a topic that's on everyone's mind, uh, coronavirus. Millions across the country and billions worldwide are on lockdown and Chef Silver is no different. We join the conversation now with Ron in his New York City home. It is. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm holed up in my house and staying entertained, so I'm good. (laughs) Same. How's it going for you? Are you in New York right now? I am. What's it like there? Well, it's pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's an eerie feeling. It is. I mean, I have not. Well, I guess I went out this morning for a minute. And, you know, you can see one person. There's literally a block between each person. Wow. Yeah. How eerie. And where are you? I'm in uh, Denver. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's real quiet here. It's the least traffic I've heard in a long time. and uh, But people are outside walking like crazy. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Are they staying away from each other? Yeah, definitely crossing the street when they see one another coming. Um, but, but Well, it, I think that's the main thing. Yeah. Sounds like... Yeah, and thankfully they haven't shut down all of our trails and people seem to be respecting the distance there too. So I think the city's coping well with it so far. Well, it's, you know, this city is having a disaster, as you can see. It's, um, I mean, it's upsetting. And I do, I know, and I know some people in the hospital, so I'm sort of hearing what's going on in there. And it does not sound good. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. It's amazing how quickly it exploded there. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Well, you know, I, I, I was in London in February and Paris, and I was, feel like I was sort of just one step ahead of, of various breakouts. Oh, wow. So I, I don't know. And then I'm, I'm here in the middle of this. I sort of, you know, feel sort of extra lucky to have skated by without getting sick so you know it's an amazing thing to watch though because people in london were starting to talk about it and people in paris were starting to talk about it and you know it really has just ballooned up mushroomed i guess would be an accurate term yeah so you're fortunate to have made it back through the airports before everything really started getting tightened down 
Well, yeah, I was, I was weeks before that. <clears throat> um, it was, you know, I think maybe February. I think I was in Europe on Valentine's Day. I was in Paris on the 14th. Wow. Were people starting to feel the anxiety there? They were. I, I spoke with a, you know, I'm a painter, so I was really, uh, you know, I, and I went there specifically to see um, this Leonardo da Vinci exhibit. Oh, yes. That's a wonderful exhibit. Did you I, see I, that? They, they had the traveling da Vinci exhibit. I'm not sure if it's the same as, as what you saw, but I saw it recently. Wonderful. Yeah, this is this is some other sort of Louvre spectacular with all, you know, like 50 paintings and or 25 paintings. I don't know. It was really a super special thing and you really couldn't get in. And, oh, you know, I really sort, sort of wormed my way in, you know, literally with a handwritten letter by the... Um, the president of the Louvre is the only <laughs> way I could get in. No, not the one that I saw, Ron. <laughs> uh, well, I'm saying this really required some, you know, sort of gymnastics to get through the, the hoop. And, and also, just on a COVID sort of note, it was really crowded. Mm. You know, it was very, very busy. And, uh, you know, you could really see in hindsight that God knows what was going on with that. Right. Anyway, so I'm, I'm happy to be home safe and sound and healthy in my apartment. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, and so you have two locations in New York City. Yeah. Uh, and Bubby's is nearing its 30th anniversary later this year. Yeah. In, in all that time, have you ever experienced anything at all similar to this lockdown, you know, to what's happening right now? Well, obviously nobody has experienced anything like that, but we did have a practice event here called 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also had a couple other practices, which were like Hurricane Sandy and some other hurricane that I can't remember the name of. Um, so Bubby's itself has a sort of uh, muscle memory about how to act in an emergency, I would say. Okay. Uh, and, you know, what that means is that our crew, I mean, we're not, in a, we're not in any better position than anybody else, so our crew is definitely uh, scrambled and scattered about, but, but we're keeping in touch with each other and you know, we all know that we all have each other's backs as a team and a community kind of thing. So I think that that has a lot to do with going through those other experiences. Mm. Yeah, I think that's important, having the that team energy to to get everybody through and remind us that there's there's a tomorrow, you know, that we're coming, we're going to come out of it as a team as well. Yeah, and you know just as far as sort of language goes, um, I really look at it as more of a community than a team. Okay. Uh, because a team is out to win games and win, and a community is something that's there to live and thrive and pursue happiness. And, um, you know, I... I 
feel very much uh, in the line of making sure that, um, you know, that language like that is, is uh, beginning to get clarified because I, I, and I'm not to be nitpicky about it. No, I, I appreciate the distinction and it's, it is important. But I guess for me, the notion of a team is that somebody owns that team. Mm-hmm. And while I do own Bubbies, um, I feel that I work for the community of Bubbies and I'm more of like the mayor to make sure that everybody is as secure as I can make sure that they are, uh, you know, within, you know, not driving myself crazy and with still trying to hustle and consider everybody's well-being and listening to feedback from the community itself and understanding that we're all very much not in just a sort of rhetorical sense, but in a real sense in the same boat together. And we intend to get out of it together. And it's the only way we will get out of it. And I believe that that's the same way with the community at large. So, um, you know, I don't look at uh, the community at large as a, as a team or a sport. Um, and I don't mean to be, you know, like in any way denigrating about it, but I mean, it's like all of the parties that are going to have to be cooperating are parties that aren't used to cooperating like landlords and banks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So everybody really is in it together. And if anybody makes the wrong move, it's going to be worse than if everybody makes the right move. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, and speaking of moves, you had to make the decision to, to shift from takeout and delivery to now a temporary closure for, for both locations. How did you, how did you make that decision? What was that like? Well, you know, we really decided that, uh, you know, everybody started all of a sudden knowing more and more people who were getting sick and feeling less and less comfortable about going out in it. And the notion of uh, being a quote-unquote frontline worker or, you know, like the front line is sort of became absurd in that, you know, They're not. We're not frontline people. We're we're normal people trying to stay alive and healthy. And so I think that we decided that the security of our crew uh, was more important than trying to continue, um, you know, in a sort of dangerous situation. And I think that we are looking at it. in, in a way that we want to make sure that we're not sick uh, and that if we can get back going before uh, this lockdown is over, that we'll try to consider ways that we can do that that are sort of safe and sound and not irresponsible towards the community at large. Um, and I, I think that's the way that we're looking at it. You know, we certainly want to be of service, but we don't want to get our guys or anybody else sick. So it's a sort of a a tough, uh, a tough bunch of decisions to make really. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the restaurant community in New York is sharing that sentiment? A lot of people responding similarly. 
Well, I get the feeling that everybody, uh, you know, some people, I would say that some of the larger, finer dining places kind of started shutting down right away, although some of them, you know, tried to shift right away to a more of a takeout oriented menu. Uh, and I think that as uh, the the days wore on that more and more people were facing the same concerns from their crew. Um, and I think the larger companies shut down early on and then, you know, a bunch of people tried to, to uh, stick it out. And I'm definitely seeing um, this sentiment going on out there. I'm curious how, what to expect when the lockdowns and the restrictions are lifted. How do you think the restaurant community is going to recover from this you know, prolonged closure? I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of restaurants won't, won't be reopening. You know, it's a very interesting question. And, um, you know, I probably have just, yeah, I'm kind of a, a weird person in that uh, I already, you know, I'm sort of a classics um, person. And so I, you know, I read Plato all the time and I already was very much looking at um, a bunch of classics just to sort of make sense of what was going on in the political situation at the moment. Mm. And um, so I guess to me, I always have to look to, to see, you know, what other people have done in similar situations, even though this one probably seems more colossally large. And a lot of it is because we're all connected on the internet and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're all aware and we're getting news all the time, but there definitely have been many, many times in history where this kind of thing has gone down. And, um, so I guess, to answer that question, uh, you know, I think that communities, just to get back to the, the sort of notion of a community, I mean, that's sort of what it's all about. And, you know, I live in New York City, and we're both the epicenter of this epidemic. And, you know, some people, especially New Yorkers, would argue that we're the epicenter of the world, uh, which you know, maybe arguable. Uh, however, you know, it certainly is a bustling city and has a certain kind of capital of America feel to it. And it seems to me that this, this city and, you know, all towns and cities are going to want to set themselves up in some sort of way that allows them to be a city with, a, you know, a grocery store and a shoemaker and a bank and um i i i think that um being sort of open to a sort of i mean it really is a restart i mean there's never i don't think there's ever been a time where the entire uh world has just been on pause for this sort of elongated who knows how long it's going to be amount of time and i i think that certain restaurants I mean, are going to be uh, embraced and there may be changes in tastes and it may take a while for people to, uh, you know, really uh, be wandering out. And I'm not 100% sure that things will ever 
just go back to being fired up to a frenzy of, you know, like Michelin stars and reviews and cooks on TV and things like that. I think it just, it feels like things are a little bit more possibly calm, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I could appreciate that perspective. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. Real quick, this episode is sponsored by RadSource Technologies. One of the biggest problems crop growers run into is the constant threat of mold and pathogens attacking their harvest, making the final product unviable. Well, RadSource Technologies has developed the RS420 Cannabis Irradiator, which uses modern X-ray irradiator technology to ensure that your product is irradiated safely and effectively with little to no changes to the cannabinoids or terpenes. For more information, check out www.radsource.com. And speaking of the uh, the sort of connected nature of this pandemic, how we're all communicating, um, you know, you've got many businesses and, and partnerships across the country. How are you staying connected well, I have six, I have six restaurants in Japan. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, internationally. I mean, you've got so much to manage, and you can't travel to go see it. How are you? Well, on top of this all. First of all, I mean, just to, you know, I I hate to keep beating the drum of community, but I don't. I mean, all of my things, anything that I have to do with, I I have a certain role in them, and. Other people have roles in keeping them going, and I and everybody is a sort of you know owns their own piece, and everybody's talking to each other, uh, and everybody is sort of uh, you know committed to the uh, idea of of Bubby's say uh, when it comes to I I don't do. Do you, you know about this Azuka stuff, right? I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's all going, um, you know, in a, in a different way. So I guess the point, the, the point to, to your point, you know, a lot of things are going on. People are, you know, sort of keeping their piece of this ship together. And some things are moving at different speeds with bubbies. There's nothing that can be done right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, with uh, with Azuka, we want to make sure that you know people understand what we're doing and and how uh, how it's benefiting people who are already using it, and just sort of making sure that we're having conversations and staying uh, uh, staying aware of the. You know, the landscape of, I mean, cannabis is doing very well. And so we're, you know, we're, we have a, a unique proposition within that. So we're just, you know, making sure that the people that we're talking to are continuing to, um, you know, have those conversations, I guess. So let's talk about Azuka a little bit. Um, so Azuka is your proprietary formulation. You've got, uh, you focus on CBD with Azuka, is that right? There's, I haven't seen any THC products with Azuka. Well, so we are, we do have THC products with. Uh, Wana brands, right? Wana brands, yes. Right, okay. Um, and so you started Azuka prior to your partnership with Wana. 
And then did they, did they approach you to work together? They, well, basically, uh, the CEO of Azuka is Kim Rael. And uh, Nancy Whiteman and Kim were both at a conference somewhere, I think in New York City, possibly. Okay. And uh, they both happened to be sitting next to each other at lunch and started talking. And that's how we uh, started working with Juana. Okay. Nice. I like to hear about those connections at events. It makes it seem like uh, more powerful to attend when you know that real, real work is coming out of them. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. What I would say to that is, is that if there are real people to talk to, you have a decent chance of finding them there. Um, it's still hunt and peck. Uh, as it were, I would say. Yeah, the well said. Um, so I, I guess I would like to know what inspired you to create Azuka? I mean, have you always been, you know, sort of interested in cannabis or was it? Uh, well, I mean, in a certain way, if, if one were to sort of go, you know, like look from this point in time and go back, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the time it looked pretty damn sloppy because I loved weed since I was like 12. (laughs) And I mean, I really, I loved it more than anybody did any of my friends or, you know, even when I, you know, my first job out of high school was growing in Mendocino and, you know, I even loved weed more than all those guys, (laughs) you know? So I've always, you know, it's, it wasn't like, you know, anything that any counseling or, you know, just any number of things. I mean, I've been married a couple times and <clears throat> none of those people really enjoyed the fact of my love for cannabis. So <clears throat> it really has been a commitment to cannabis and an understanding of it in a weird way that uh, perhaps when it was not legal, it really did look sort of derelict. But in the cannabis industry, it, it comes in very handy because I, you know, I really have an understanding of that. And then I guess the other thing is that I, I really do have an understanding of food and food chemistry. So that has been helpful. And the other thing is that I have a real penchant to learn things. And so, um, you know, I can sit down and read textbooks or theses or, any number of things. And really, uh, I, I, that's kind of how I came up with Azuka. That's awesome. Why did you choose to focus on CBD with Azuka? Well, because the technology that we have is equally applicable to CBD and THC. Mm. And uh, I think that we felt that uh, CBD was not being treated as seriously as it needs to be. And there is a general understanding in the world that CBD doesn't really, quote unquote, get you high. So it doesn't need to be really considered that much. Hmm. But really what that's amounted to is underdosed uh, CBD products that really don't have a, a big effect. Uh, and... So we felt that CBD could use some sort of uh, 
well, a lot of what a lot of our uh, um, a lot of our aim is to help clarify the language around cannabis, and that would be CBD and THC. Uh, and they're both serious medicines, mm -hmm. and if they are used appropriately, then they have a lot of benefits, which, you know, we're, we don't really talk about, but in order to get the benefits of CBD, you have to take a proper dose and it has to absorb into your body. And so we felt that that was a good way to deliver that. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. I think it is an underserved or maybe, um, it's a market that needs that educational component. Um, and I think all of us are kind of learning about CBD and THC uh, and the complexities of the two as the industry develops. Um, so the onus is really sort of on, on companies and manufacturers to try to educate through packaging and, um, and even through their websites, you know, what their products do and why they're beneficial. Well, that's true. And I think that there, you know, the one thing that we uh, have been somewhat uh, effective at doing is, is sort of uh, staying away from the noise. Nice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, essentially we've been saying the same thing from day one, even before Azuka was formed. I mean, I've really been working on this myself for like seven years. Wow. And even seven years ago, I was saying the exact same thing. Uh, you know, I was at one point I was trying to figure it out. And then at another point I figured that I had figured it out and continued to figure it out. But each step of the way was trying to get a controllable low dose. Uh, and each step of the way did reveal some sort of understanding of the cannabis molecule and how to deliver it in a more efficient way, a more pleasant way, a more understandable way. And was your hope that this would make it more accessible to people who maybe uh, were standoffish about it? Well, my hope was to establish a consistent language that helped people to understand if it was going to be helpful for them mm -hmm. without having to be either snide or snarky or uh, feel that they understood something better than they may have, or maybe they do. And then we're very interested in hearing about that. And we don't want to pretend to know more than we do. But the thing that we do know about is delivering a dose that is you know, that you actually get. So we want to deliver the medicine in a controlled way so that people can make a decision. And then as, you know, the benefits or the usefulness of it uh, uh, appear, we will then sort of help to tailor delivery mechanisms and uh, ways to understand both CBD and THC and whole plant uh, cannabis applications that that will enable to people to use cannabis in a way that's beneficial for them mm. um and in that regard you know, what what advice would you offer those who are looking to maybe get into 
the cannabis edibles market? Well, that is a big question. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, getting into the cannabis edibles market is a, it's a big job. There's a lot of regulation to understand. Uh, it changes all the time. And you really, I think the biggest uh, advice that I could think to give is to try to offer a thing that you're actually good at and that you know how to do mm. um, rather than being, uh, you know, I would say that vertical integration is a thing that's, that's disappearing more and more. Mm. And that specializing in specific goods and services within the industry or within edibles itself uh, is something to do uh, that you know will enable you to focus on something that you're actually good at and bringing value to the industry and you know the world. Uh, it, it is not something that's a get rich quick scheme. Mm. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that clarification. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I so appreciate your insights, Ron. Um, I think that about wraps it up for me. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we uh, end our conversation? No. If you have any other questions, feel free to reach out. Beautiful. Uh, well, I really enjoyed speaking with you and learned a lot. Um, and I'll be following uh, what's happening with Bubbies and Azuka very closely over the next few months. My best wishes to you as uh, all this unfolds. All right. Thanks a lot. Stay safe out there. Thanks, Ron. You have a great day. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for today's lockdown edition of Cannabis and Tech Talks. We hope you found it interesting. Please keep an eye on canatechtoday.com for regular updates about the industry's response to the pandemic, as well as tips and tricks for getting through isolation with your sanity intact. This is Patricia Miller, signing off.